Previously on Saga of the Jewels. 17-year-old Rin's hometown is attacked by General Vor of the Empire, and everyone he has ever known is killed. Just before Rin's father dies, he gives Rin a ruby, which causes him to project fire. Rin is captured by the Empire and meets another captive, Princess Nuthia, who has the ability to project lightning. Nuthia explains to him that the Empire have learned of the existence of of 12 primeval jewels which grant the ability to manipulate different elements and are searching for them. The Imperial vessel where they are being held is in turn attacked by a pirate airship and the pirates capture Rin and Nuthia. The lead pirate, Captain Sagar, agrees to escort Nuthia back to her homeland and to spare Rin's life in exchange for the promise of gold, gemstones and beautiful women upon her safe delivery. They land in the port city of Ast, and recruit an engineer called Elran. Ast is then attacked by the Empire, who are using the Fire Ruby to invade the continent and search for more of the jewels. Rin, Nuthia, Sagar and Elran flee the city together, but are then attacked by a bounty hunter, Vish. They manage to subdue the bounty hunter, but Nuthia is gravely wounded in the process. Rin beats Sagar to the hunter's mount, and rushes Nuthia to the nearest town, where he finds a healer, Sid, a mysterious old man, who saves the princess's life with his arts and asks to join the travelling party, saying that he believes it is the purpose of the One, the god that he and Nuthia each worship. On leaving the town, the party is pursued by an enormous monster driven by a troop of imperial soldiers. The party manage to escape with the help of Vish, who fights on their side in exchange for Sid supplying his poppy seed habit. Sid reveals that he was once a member of another adventuring party who set out to find the twelve primeval jewels but failed. The party press on to the capital city of Syrah, where they ambush some imperial soldiers and steal their uniforms in order to sneak onto a sleeper train bound for Nuthia's homeland. They make it aboard successfully, but then Rin gives them away when he comes face to face with General Vor on the train and is unable to prevent himself from attacking him. The party are thus forced to escape from the train by leaping into a river it is passing. But their encounter with Vor has revealed two things that the fire ruby-touched Imperials are invulnerable to Nuthia's lightning lightning attacks, and that Nuthia was the person who once accidentally gave Vor the location of the fire ruby, thus leading to the destruction of Rin's hometown and the death of his parents. After a brief rest stop, the party press on towards Manolia in order for Nuthia to warn her people of the Morakamian Empire's new knowledge of the jewels. Episode 18. Manolia. In the morning, it was time to be moving on. They rose at first light, dressed and ate a quick breakfast of bread and cheese in the inn's common room. Rin made sure to sit at the opposite end of the table from Nuthia. She didn't say anything to him, and that was fine by him. Before they left the town, they stopped by some shops to stock up on supplies, buying enough provisions for their trek through the mountains and taking the opportunity to furnish themselves with some new cloaks. Sid had all the coin for it and didn't seem to mind spending it. Apparently he had done quite well for himself working as a healer in Nantes. They bought cheese, this place was big on cheese, salt beef and some hard whey bread that the shop vendor promised them would keep, would keep over their journey. Then they set off, back the way they had come, south and east to the river they had jumped into from the train and then alongside it towards the Palnian mountains. For a while they discussed the idea of following the train track but in the end decided against it. That would be a foolish move when the Empire would probably be sending more trains up and down it to transport troops. So they stuck by the river instead, which had its source in the Palnian Mountains, taking them towards Manolia as they walked upstream. As they walked, 
their conversation grew stilted, then non-existent. Rin was still sulking with Nuthia, he knew, but he didn't care. He wasn't sure if he would ever speak to her again. He just wanted to find General Vor, kill him to avenge his parents in hometown, and then be done with this whole group of travellers. He had no idea what he would do after that, but he didn't need to think about that now. All the same, he continued to practice his flames by himself and his sword fighting with Sid in any spare moments available. The healer said he was improving fast. Maybe he would finally be good enough to best Vor the next time he met him. Or maybe Vor will finally kill me instead, he thought once in the depth of the night when he was on watch, and then at least I'll be free of this pain and grief. They kept an eye out for Imperials, but never stopped any. But never spotted any. Apparently none had bothered to follow them, not even the Lady Shadowfinger. They relaxed a little at this discovery, but Vish didn't let them stop keeping their eyes out for Imperials, just in case. A strange sense of foreboding seemed to hover over the party, Rin thought, but foreboding of what he could not be entirely sure. The end of their journey together, perhaps, which they all must know was coming now they went so near to Manolia, but never spoke of. Or maybe it was the prospect of crossing paths with General Vor again. Or maybe it was a premonition of something even worse? Were that possible? Once, in the light from their evening campfire, Nuthia approached Rin while he sat a little way off from the rest of the group. Lost in his thoughts, he didn't notice her until she was standing a step away from him, casting a shadow over him in the firelight. Her lips were tight, her face solemn, and ringed by an orange halo that blended with her golden hair. Surprise embarrassed Rin into talking to her, something he hadn't been accustomed to doing lately. Uh, hello. What do you want? Damn him if he didn't sound like a child. But gods, damn me if I don't care. Nithia crouched so that he was on, she was on his level, a rare condescension that presumably showed she was trying not to talk down to him, for once. Rin, she said softly, inaudible to the others who were still sat or lay near at the fire. I... I wanted to apologise to you, again. I'm so sorry for what happened between me and Vor. I never intended to tell anyone about the location of the fire ruby, let alone someone who would go there and destroy a whole town to find it. I don't know what happened. I don't know how he got it out of me. I never meant to cause any harm. But I know I have, and I know I didn't tell you earlier because... because I was ashamed. But I'm sorry for that too. I'm so sorry, Rin. I'm so sorry for all that you lost, but we can't go on like this with you not speaking to me. Can you ever forgive me? Irritation had been burning in Rin's belly the whole time Nuthia had been giving her, giving him her token apology, and even as the tears had started to slip down her cheeks. But when she said the word, forgive, a memory suddenly shone in his mind. The way of the one is to forgive, she had said to him as they lay next to each other in the darkness aboard the Siren train bound for Manolia, before he had found out about what she had done. For a moment, just a moment, another path opened up to him in his imagination, a different path to the wide, dark, thorn-littered road of bitterness and hatred that he was currently walking. It was an unfamiliar path, a narrow but smooth and straight path, paved with bright white stones. Maybe I could forgive her, he thought. Maybe I could let her off the hook. Maybe I would feel better. Maybe that would be better. Maybe I could even forgive the Empire and the Emperor and Vor. But then, as quickly as it had appeared in his mind, 
The path disappeared, replaced by an image of Vor's fat, grinning face. No. The thought of Vor triggered the thought of his mother's death, his father's death, of the roofs of Klezor burning, and the flames burned in his belly too. Mother. Father. Hometown. Find Vor. Get Vor. Kill Vor. Get away from Nuthia. He shot Nuthia a scornful frown and, without saying anything more, turned his back on her, shuffling around so that he had his back to the fire and her. He pulled his cloak round him and lay down on his side to go to sleep, still facing away from Nuthia. What had he been thinking? How could he forgive her? She had done him too grievous an injury. She had been responsible for the death of his mother, his father and his entire hometown, all because she had been attracted to the monster who had ended up killing them. After a while, in the darkness behind his closed eyes, he heard the soft squelch of Nuthia's feet walking over the ground away from him, back to the others. It took them three days' hike to reach the Manolian border. First, the rolling foothills of Zerlan rose to mountains. These were actually easier to cross because instead of having to climb every single mountain, they simply used the position of the sun to make sure they were still heading southeast and kept to the lower slopes, cutting a path through them that wove below the summits. They soon parted ways from the river, which at one point turned abruptly north in a small valley and up towards the snow-dusted higher slopes, but this didn't matter as they had filled their water flasks, Sid had bought them in Never, and they were nearing their destination anyway. Although they would not need to traverse any snow themselves, since, as Elran explained, they were cutting across the southwesterly edge of the mountain range, where it was not quite so cold at this time of year, things became more difficult when the mountainsides grew wooded. For in time they reached a place where a blanket of tall pines covered the slopes, a beautiful convergence of mountains and forest that they had no choice but to plunge into, since it lay between them and Manolia. The unharvested, dense trees hid the sky, throwing them even harder onto their trust in Elrond's sense of direction. But now and again they opened up into a clearing, or the rise of an incline offered them a gap in their covering, and the party was able to check the position of the sun again, as its rays slanted down to greet them for a few moments. The forest also had the benefit of concealing them from any Imperials who might be around. Proceeding thus, on the afternoon of their third day walking, they sighted Manolia. They saw it even before they saw the station town that the Siren train they had been on had been heading towards. As they came to the edge of a rocky crag where the ground suddenly fell away in, in a vicious drop and the tree line with it, taking care not to stumble over the edge, they were given a glimpse of the space between the lower slopes of several mountains. And there, beyond them, beyond where the mountain range ended, in the distance, was a gigantic grey stone wall. Rin thought it was a natural feature at first, so vast was it. He thought that the earth must have pressed together from two sides and, with nowhere else to go, pushed up into the air to form an enormous cliff shelf. But as he looked more closely, he saw that the edge of the shelf was entirely straight and all the same height along the top, and that it stretched out of sight on either side. It could not be natural. It had to be man-made. Or woman-made, Rin supposed, from what he had heard from Nuthia about Manolia, back when he was still talking to her. It was impossible to tell how tall the wall was from this far away, but it looked to be at least the height of a mountain. There is the border wall of my homeland, said Nuthia, as they all stood side by side, staring at it. Our journey is nearly at an end. Treasure, glory and beautiful women, here I come, said Sagar, and licked his lips. We need to stay out of the way of the Imperials, said Sid. That will be easy, said Nuthia. 
We can avoid Plesser, where the train will have stopped, entirely, and make for the secret passageway in the northeastern tip of the wall. It is not actually all that far away, as the wall is not as wide as it would seem, since the land contracts here as it forms the Manolian Peninsula, and it should be easy enough to stay out of sight of any lurking Imperials in this tree cover. Let's go. They set out then on what Rin hoped was the very last leg of their journey before they reached Manolia, turning from the crag to descend the last part of the slope they had been walking on, then turn northeast to walk in parallel with the wall. Nuthia seemed to know this part of the world well enough to be able to guide them confidently, without Alran's help any longer. As if in assistance of their plight, when dusk began to fall, a thick mist began to spread over the mountains. It started high up around the peaks, glimpsed as roiling white fingers reaching them through reaching through the gaps between the trees, and then rolled slowly down to meet them, cloaking the wooded slopes in fog. If there were any Imperials out looking for them, it would be even harder to spot the party now. The only drawback of the mist was that it limited their own view as well, and meant that they had to walk closer together to keep from losing sight of each other, so Rin was no longer able to hang back from the group and walk at a distance from them. He heard every word of their occasional nervous conversation. How do you know this land so well, Princess Girl? Elran asked her, apparently impressed. In spite of the fog, Nuthia still seemed to know exactly where she was going. She did not answer straight away, but when she did she said, I used to gaze out at these mountains every day from my bedchamber in Orma, the capital city of Manolia, where we are heading. It is not far from the border wall, on the other side. I know them well. I know their names. I know where Plessa sits in relation to them. It's a good thing too, said Sagar, or we'd be fodder for the Imperials by now. And sure enough, when Nuthia announced that it was time to walk all the way to the far foot of the mountain they were on, and keep walking until they came out from underneath the trees to a plain where the forest ended, there in front of them, suddenly looming like a visitor they had not, they had not known had been at their door, was the Manolian border wall again. It was even more immense up close. Now Rin could see for sure that it wasn't a natural feature of the landscape, but hewn out of a smooth grey stone. If you looked closely enough, you could see the weathered lines in the places where massive rectangular blocks of it had been joined together. It must have taken an age to build. And what was that noise? A gentle susurrus, rising and falling to and from a larger swell from moment to moment, not unlike the wind, and yet not the wind. He looked to his left, northeast along the wall, and there... Just visible through the descending dusk and lingering mist was the dark blue shimmer and crashing white foam of the sea. They walked the last stretch of misty land that lay between them and the wall. "'What are we looking for, then?' said Sagar. "'A secret door?' "'You will know it when you see it,' said Nuthia. They drew up to the face of the wall near its extreme northeastern tip. Here its edge suddenly stopped and fell away to a rocky coastline where the white spray of the crashing waves glittered in the air. A vertical pole about as tall as a person came into view. It stood a little way away from the wall and near enough to its edge that they got a bit wet from stray droplets of the sea spray. It had the sheen of metal rather than stone, though it had been camouflaged against the wall from a distance so you would not have known it was there if you were not looking for it. It was thin and straight, except for its tip, about a head about head height, which ended in a metallic sphere that was slightly wider than the pole itself. Is it this? said Sagar. Yes, said Nuthia. This is the lock to a secret passage through the wall. Only Manolians with the gift can use it. Stand back. They did, 
and Nuthia spread her feet and opened her hands. Bolt! she yelled. Bright white lightning leapt from her open hands to the sphere at the top of the pole, a single shock of discharge. In the same instant that it hit, it ran down the length of the pole into the ground, and the whole pole shone white for a moment, then returned to its metal colour. Silence, but for the foaming sea. Of course Sagar broke it first. Well, that was a pretty trick, princess, but how does that help us? Even as he spoke, two upright rectangular sections of the wall in front of them slid backwards with a rumbling scrape, revealing a dark, person-sized opening in the stone. That was quite clever, I suppose, said Sagar. The party followed Nuthia into the darkness of the passageway. Once she had stepped inside the wall and gone a few paces, she checked that everyone else was in, then turned to her left and pressed her hand against a certain place in the stone that she knew to look for. The stone she had touched depressed into the wall of the passage, and the doors behind them slid shut all of a sudden. They were plunged into dimness, lit only by a blazing torch that was mounted on the wall of the passageway a few steps further in. "'Princess Nuthia!' exclaimed a female voice. Rin almost jumped out of his skin. Sagar and Vish put hands to their swords. In front of them stood a tall, broad-shouldered woman clad in a golden breastplate over a gold-dyed tunic and skirt. She wore a golden helm, too, with a guard that came down over the bridge of her nose. Like Nuthia, she had long, golden hair. All the gold on her glittered in the flickering glow from the torch on the wall. She carried a metal spear taller than herself, with a vicious twinkling tip. Her approaching footsteps had been masked by the sounds of the tunnel doors sliding shut. Kathuna, Nuthia said, and ran forwards. They embraced and kissed one another on each cheek. Sagar, who had stepped forward when the woman had appeared, turned round and gave Rin a leering smile. He mouthed the words, Beautiful women! and his eyes flashed mischievously before he turned back round. Ugh, how could he be thinking about that now, thought Rin. He's got a one-track mind. He could see what Sagar meant, though, but the woman wasn't as beautiful as Nuthia. Her jaw was wider, and she didn't have the same striking angular cheekbones Rin could see even under the helmet she wore. Also, she just wasn't Nuthia. Not that any of that mattered. Why was he thinking this? He wasn't even interested in Nuthia like that anymore. The two Minolians had begun a rapid interchange. You've come back, the woman called Kathuna was saying, and you've brought these people with you. Yes, these are my friends, Lady Alran, Grandfather Sid, Captain Sagar, Master Rin, and Vish. Why did she say Alran first, thought Rin? Why did she say Sagar before me? I, well, there's no time to explain now. Kathuna, the Morakamian Empire is seeking to invade our country. I must see my mother to warn her. Calm down, calm down, said Kathuna, putting her hands in a steadying gesture. We know. We've been watching the Imperials for a few days now. They have been mustering troops at Plesser on the other side of the border for some time, bringing them in by train. It's fortunate that you chose to come back this way, the same way you left, but maybe you knew to avoid them. You mean they've been mustering troops but haven't attacked yet, said Nuthia. That's right. I've been here at the passageway on guard duty for a week, and I've had no word or sight of an attack, only that the Morakamians have been gathering in Plesser. Oh, thank the one. I'm so glad we're not too late. Too late for what? Kathuna tilted her head to one side. Where have you been all this time, princess? What have you been doing? I'll explain everything in time. I must get to my mother as soon as possible all the same. I have some other information that I need to share with her. Of course, follow me. 
Kathuna took the torch from the wall and they followed her down the passageway. I've got so much to tell you, said, she said to Nuthia. Oh, sorry. I've got so much to tell you, she said to Nuthia. So much has happened while you've been away. Oh, such as? Well, as I'm sure you expected, the Queen was furious when she discovered that you'd left the country. I was questioned thoroughly as guardswoman in charge of the border wall, but you'd given me enough information to construct a sound alibi, so thank you for that. House and Luna were furious as well. Vivenna vowed to go and find you and bring you back to Manolia herself, but her mothers wouldn't let her. They were so offended that you'd run away from the wedding that they withdrew their proposal altogether. Oh, thank the one, said Nuthia. That is a relief. In spite of himself, Rin had lots of questions, but he couldn't voice them what with his pact of silence with regards to Nuthia. Fortunately, Sagar voiced them for him. Huh? said the pirate. Who's this Vivenna person? Vivenna Aluna, said Kathuna, is the woman Princess Nuthia was engaged to be married to. You were engaged to be married to a woman? Rin could not help himself from blurting out, breaking his pact of silence without another thought. She was, Kathuna answered for her, by the arrangement of their families, as is our custom. I have heard this is not so common in the primitive lands, but this is how we do things in the motherland. In the motherland, women rule and reign supreme while the men serve, as the one intended, rather than the other way around. We have little need for men, except as servants and surrogates. Rin's throat went dry, and for the moment his questions dried up too. Hang on a moment, said Sagar, suspicion suddenly seeping into his tone. You're not about to try to, try to enslave me, are you? I was promised gold, gemstones and beautiful women in, report, in return for escorting the princess back here. You were promised what? said Kathuna. Never mind that just now, said Nuthia, and laughed nervously, a sound that Rin had never heard before. The promises I made to you will be fulfilled, Sky Captain. And do not worry, Rin, Vish, Grandfather, you will not be made to be servants here either. You are here as my guests. Manolia knows that not every country in Mid follows her customs, and my mother should be able to tolerate men in her presence, so long as you behave yourselves and are polite. She shot Sagar a pointed glance. Okay then, Princess, said Sagar warily. Vish grunted the barest acknowledgement. I'm starting to like this country, said Elran. I did warn you said Sid quietly to Rin and Sagar, while Nuthia and Kathuna continued talking with each other, on our journey from Never, that Manolia was a matriarchy. Rin supposed that the old man had, but he hadn't really been paying attention. He had been too preoccupied with his thoughts of revenge, as usual. I should hasten to add, not all Onists take this view of the role of the sexes, that men should be subservient to women. I, for example, do not. It is a doctrine that is peculiar to the Manolians, so you will need to... Tolerate a certain amount that you are unfamiliar with while you are here, too. Rin didn't really care that much. Why should he? At last, they reached the end of the passageway. It had gone on for a surprisingly long amount of time. The Manolian border wall must be massively thick. This time, Kathuna was the one to depress a small place in the wall, and two hidden doors in the stone that barred their way swung open. Bright sunshine greeted them as they stepped out into Manolia and were hit by a wave of warmth. At the same time, the air felt clearer, crisper here, as Rin sucked a big gulp of it into his lungs. Mother, father, hometown, find Vor, get Vor, kill Vor, get away from Nuthia. Built into the border wall on this side, near the edge of the passageway, was a small stable that jutted out from it, hewn from the same grey stone. Here they were greeted by two more female guards wearing the same tunic and armour as Kathuna, 
and again with the same golden blonde hair. Rin supposed that Nuthia wasn't that special after all. Although they don't wear that royal circlet, and their hair doesn't shimmer quite like hers does, and they're just not her. Ugh, why am I thinking this? Shut up, Rin. Kathuna introduced these guards to them as Rana and Thula. They each went wide-eyed with recognition of Nuthia at once, but rather than peppering her with questions as Kathuna had done, they looked away or down at the floor, seeming to go bashful in her presence. The stables held yellow chocobos and chariots with curved silver fronts and big golden wheels. Was everything made out of gold in this country? They were able to fit four to a chariot, so they took two, with Kathuna and Rana driving two chocobos each, while Thula stayed behind to take her turn on duty, guarding the border wall passageway. Rin made sure to take a different chariot from Nuthia, and held on to the side of one with Sid and Vish, as Rana lashed the reins and the chocobos cawed and began to run. And then they were galloping over the Minolian plains, plains of lush green grass, out of the shadow of the Palnian mountains, towards Orma, which Rana announced as Minolia's capital. The bright sun's rays blazed down from a clear sky. It was definitely hotter here than in Imphis, but the breeze from rushing along in the chariots whipped at their clothing and kept Rin cool. White buildings rose up in the distance, gleaming in the sunshine. Rin squinted. He could see the vertical lines of pillars, rounded domed roofs. Orma was built somewhat differently to the towns and cities he had visited on his journey thus far. Instead of tall towers, the buildings here were all wide rectangles and domes, which must be why they hadn't seen them sooner. Soon the chariot wheels were clacking over streets of paved white stone, but not dirty off-white like the stone that Syrah had been built out of. The road and buildings here practically shone and almost hurt Rin's eyes to look at. He supposed that the stone must be quarried from the Palnian mountains, but the Minolians seemed to take better care of it than the Imphisi in Syrah. Indeed, now and then they passed someone scrubbing at a wall or a patch of floor with a mop, or lifting one to clean a window. That was when Rin realised that all of the people doing these things were men. Men dressed in simple, dirty servants' clothing, brown breeches and overalls or just rags. Sid hadn't been joking when he said that the women were in charge here. The women, for their part, appeared to walk the streets at leisure and were dressed either in flowing white togas or, occasionally, the same tunic and armour that Kathuna, Rana and Thula wore. Some of them did double takes when they saw four foreign men riding along in a couple of military chariots. Some noticed Nuthia and gasped and muttered to each other, turning their heads to watch her pass and pointing after her. The chariot turned onto a much broader road, which led up a small hill to a domed palace. Rin knew it was a palace for its opulence and position. Three white buildings sat next to each other at the top of and centre of the hill, sunlight blazing off their many windows and their domed roofs, making the air above them shimmer. Of course, the domes were made of... gold like Nuthia's hair. Shut up, Rin mumbled to himself. What was that? said Sid next to him. Sorry, nothing, Rin said, his cheeks heating. They drew up in front of the palace, and the Minolians reigned in the chocobos right in front of its massive golden doors. Another pair of guardswomen ran forward and began to protest, but then Nuthia jumped out of Kathuna's chariot. Hush, she commanded the women. Suddenly Rin saw where her air of regal authority came from. It is me, Nuthia. "'Princess!' the guards exclaimed at once, halting in their tracks just as Kathuna had done. "'What do you wish of us?' one of them said, when she had regathered herself. "'That is more like it,' said Nuthia with a curt nod. "'Escort my companions and me to my mother at once.' The guards looked at each other, then at Rin, Sagar, Sid, Vish. 
But princess, said one, there are men with you. Do you think I don't know that? snapped Nuthia. You heard what I said. Yes, princess, the pair yelped in unison. Please, come this way. Your mother's council has just been in session, so you should still be able to find her in the throne room. One of them knocked a short, particular rhythm on the massive doors to the palace, and they eased open. Rin barely had time to take in the splendour of the palace's rooms and corridors, as they were swept down them by the guards in the wake of Nuthia, who paced through them like a woman possessed by some maddening spirit. The floors and walls were polished white stone, the ceilings held up by pillars of blue marble. As they ascended a a curved flight of stairs, a huge gold-framed mirror reflected the dishevelled forms of Rin and his travelling companions back at themselves. They looked severely out of place in such an impressive palace. Several more guardswomen posted at key points frowned quizzically at the party as they approached, but then inevitably deferred and allowed them passage as soon as they recognised Nuthia. Eventually, Nuthia shocked one final pair of guardswomen into letting them through another huge set of doors that opened into a wide, oval chamber, walled with the same white stone as the rest of the palace. A second balcony level ringed the room too, built a little over halfway up the high wall, with a rail to stop people falling off of it. On this balcony, Rin could see rows of wooden benches which extended from the wall of the chamber, presumably to behind the guard rail, out of sight from ground level. Light came into the room through tall, high windows on the balcony level. The light fell on a raised, stepped dais, with a tall stone throne set into the centre of it that stood at the far end of the chamber. Two more guards holding spears stood in front of the dais, to either side of it. Facing the dais were arrayed, in square blocks, rows of smaller wooden chairs. All of the benches and chairs in the throne room were empty. All save one. In the centre of the dais, on the throne, sat a figure. As big as the room was, it was hard to make out the figure's features at first, but as Rin walked towards it with the others, the sound of their footsteps echoing around the vast, eerily quiet chamber, he saw more. Of course, it was a woman. This must be Nuthia's mother. The queen stood. The first thing that struck Rin about her was how big she was. Even as they approached her throne from across the hall, Rin could see that the queen was exceedingly tall, A good seven feet, he reckoned, much taller than Nuthia. Rather than the metal breastplate and tunic of the Manolian military, the queen wore a floor-length white dress interwoven with patterned gold thread, much like Nuthia's dress had looked before it had been torn, bloodstained and bespattered with dirt, mud, river water and all manner of other things on their journey to get get here. The queen's white feet were bare where they peeked out from under the hem of her dress, Her hips were very wide indeed. Her bosoms were gigantic underneath her dress. Her shoulders were broad. He had expected her hair to be golden, like Nuthia's, and apparently everyone else's here. But instead, a waterfall of straight, dark hair fell fell down her back, stopping at her waist. She had something of the same obvious beauty in the lines of her nose and cheeks as Nuthia did, only it was a more taut, strained beauty, a crueler beauty. On her head she wore a simple shining, many-pronged golden crown. In short, she was majestic, and Rin found her utterly terrifying. As they arrived in front of the dais, the queen fixed the party with two piercing blue eyes with crystals dancing in them. Those eyes were almost exactly the same as Nuthia's, and Rin felt as though she was looking directly at him. Silence for a time. Nobody announced them or said who they were. It must be obvious, or the queen must have already been told. 
Rin supposed. Sweat moistened his forehead. He couldn't meet the Queen's gaze. He wished she would stop staring at him. As if hearing Rin's thoughts, the Queen transferred her stare to Nuthia at last. Her expression was hard, her mouth a thin line. She drew in a deep breath. Why? the Queen said, in a clear, proud voice that was deeper than her daughter's and had a very slight tremor in it. It was an odd sort of greeting. The silence lingered on for a moment longer. Mother, I'm so sorry! Nuthia suddenly broke out into a run towards her mother's throne, moving as if to climb the steps, but when she was still yet ten paces away, her mother held up a hand. The two guardswomen on either side of the dais stepped forwards and crossed their spears in front of Nuthia, barring her way forward. Stop there, child, said Nuthia's mother. You do not so easily approach my throne. Her emotions and speech seemed stiff and restrained, as if she was dealing with some great inner conflict or holding some force of emotion at bay. You had the favour of this throne once, Nuthiana, but you discarded it carelessly, and your actions... your actions have had consequences. Mother, I'm so sorry for the pain that I've caused you, Nuthia said, her own voice trembling a little. And the Aluna family. But I couldn't marry Vivenna. I didn't love her. And anyway, that is not what I've come back to Orma to talk to you about. Mother, I have important information to share with you about the primeval jewels. Speak carefully, the Queen interjected all of a sudden. Was she shaking very slightly? Rin could not tell why, whether it was anger or some other emotion that she was holding at bay. We are in the presence of servants and foreigners. She glanced ever so briefly at Rin and the other members of their travelling party, then quickly looked back at Nuthia. We can speak freely in front of these people, mother. They are my friends, and they know everything that I have to tell you anyway. Well, most of them know almost everything. Huh? thought Rin. What does that mean? They helped me return here after I was captured by a Morocamian officer. There was an intake of breath, including from the guards in the room. Tension radiated from every line of the Queen's body. You were already... You were captured by the Empire. How did you escape? That doesn't matter now, Mother. What matters is what I have to tell you, and my friends can hear it because they helped me get back to Manolia. Yeah, said Sagar. About that. Some of us were promised a reward. Not now, Sagar! Nuthia snapped without even looking at him. You will get your reward in due time. Sagar turned a very pleasing shade of purple. The Queen sat tight-lipped a moment longer. What was she holding back? Why was she sitting so tensely? Say what you have to say and take care of your words. Now Nuthia seemed to struggle to get the words out in turn. Mother, I am so sorry. An imperial officer called Vor captured me because, while I was travelling outside Manolia after I ran away, I inadvertently revealed to him my knowledge of the primeval jewels. I told him that we have the lightning crystal and I told him where the fire ruby was hidden. He captured me and took me to Efstan to find the fire ruby, which he... which he did successfully. Mother, the Morocamian Empire know about the jewels, and they have the fire ruby. I'm so sorry. The one forgive me, I'm so sorry. Silence. The queen's face remained tense, but unmoved, her eyes on the floor. I'm sorry, Nuthia said again after a while. I know I let you down. Please, say something, mother. The queen lifted her eyes to regard her daughter with such an intense stare, Rin wondered if lightning was suddenly going to manifest from them. 
At last she spoke, in a hushed voice, the tremor now barely concealed. Is that all you have to say to me, child? Huh? Yes, said Nuthia. At that the queen's tight shoulders slumped ever so slightly, and she seemed to relax a little. From the way she lifted her face and smiled sheepishly, Nuthia seemed relieved too. At least I didn't tell them where the earth emerald was hidden, she said quickly. No! yelled Nuthia's mother out of nowhere, high and shrill, her face going bone white. Do not speak of that! You are in danger! Something shot down from above like a diving swallow and hit the queen in the front of her neck. She fell forwards at once, making a horrible choking sound, and writhed on the floor, clutching at the arrow that protruded from it. Rin looked around and up in horror. The arrow had come from the balcony. A score of black-armoured imperial soldiers clutching crossbows looked down on them from where they had been hiding behind the rail. A deep, sadistic laugh rang out through the throne room. From out behind the ivory throne, where he must have been hiding all this time, stepped General Vore.